0: morning. So we're coming to the end of our study in the book of Acts. Uh, Starting next week we'll be picking up in the book of Deuteronomy, not an oft-preached book, um, but one that I think will be beneficial to us as a church, and so I look forward to that. But before we get there, we are ending this study in the book of Acts. It began with just a few disciples around Jesus right before Jesus ascended into heaven, and it ends with the Church of Christ expanding over the whole of the Roman Empire. Paul is now in Rome, in the very sort of center of the world, so to speak. Granted, he's awaiting trial in front of Caesar, and in many ways, uh, uh, this is a striking event, but in many ways, it's kind of... Just par for the course for the Apostle Paul. He's doing what he's been doing from the very beginning. He's bearing witness to the truth of the gospel. He's faithfully proclaiming God's word and the kingdom of God to both the Jews and to the Gentiles. And this is how the book ends, how it begins, the the disciples going out and spreading the word, and here Paul continuing that work, spreading the word. Uh, It ends kind of open, if you know what I mean. There isn't a sort of neat little, all right, everything's over, it all wraps up. In fact, it just kind of has an open end to it. Um, we'll see that. So let's turn to the Word of God. You can find it printed for you in your bulletins. Uh, it is Acts chapter 28, verses 16 to 31. Acts twenty-eight, sixteen to 31. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to, send, to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case but because the Jews objected i was compelled to appeal to caesar though i had no charge though i had no charge to bring against my nation for this reason therefore i have asked to see you and to speak with you since it is because of the hope of israel that i'm wearing this chain and they said to him We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you, but we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had pointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them... Testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, this account uh, of your acts, your Holy Spirit's acts uh, in the early church. And we thank you for the apostolic witness. Uh, and for the work of the Spirit has your word and your kingdom spread. Lord, we ha- ask that you would help us to understand these last few refrains. Uh, drive home the gospel into our hearts that we might love you, that we might share you. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was originally thinking about preaching uh, the book of Acts, I was thinking about it because it has a lot to say about the nature and establishment of the church. Uh, you might say this is sort of the, the nucleus of the church from its very inception to, uh, to this point here at the end where the church has been formed or formulated over time. Um, but as I've worked through the book, I think I would say, um, yeah, it has to do with the church. We've seen that throughout. But in a much grander sense, the book of Acts has to do with the breaking in and establishment of the kingdom of God. It's a book about the kingdom breaking out into the world as a whole. It's the story of the kingdom of heaven coming to earth. It's the story of the work of the king of kings by his spirit bringing people together from every tribe, tongue, and nation to worship him. To create a new people from all these diverse parts. The people of God. So it's it's bigger. It's grander. And it's the story of the prevailing power of the kingdom of God. The kingdom marching on. Remember Jesus' words in the Gospel of Matthew. The gates of hell cannot, will not prevail against it. And as we come to the end of the last chapter, we see this marching on, this prevailing of the kingdom. Here is Paul. He's imprisoned, about to face the worst persecutor of the church the world may have ever known and Nero. I grant you... That at this point in nero 's reign, things uh, with christians haven 't become so bad he hasn 't started this grand persecution and it 's likely that Paul spent two years in prison we don 't have record of all of this, but it 's likely he spent two years of prison, was released, spent time doing more mission work, maybe even ends up in spain we don 't have all the details we know he wanted to go there, um, and then was probably <laughs> rearrested, tried again and executed. But this is where we're at. The tenor of this passage, despite the fact that he's about to face Nero uh, in this court case, the tenor of this passage is not one of impending doom and defeat. It's not. It is the tenor of hope and of continued growth despite the rejection of many of the Jews of Rome. Despite that, there's a sense we come to the end that the kingdom is marching on, that the gospel is going out unhindered. And so as we reflect on this passage and on the book as a whole, I want us to take heart. As we think about everything we've been through, I want us to take heart. The kingdom of God has broken into the world and is being established. The Spirit of God is at work. And the gospel of grace is taking hold in hearts and in lives. In other words, take heart because the kingdom of God is at hand. I know it doesn't always feel like that. I recognize sort of the the tension we feel in the world we live in. But this is the reality. And I want to explore this idea in three parts. First, I want us to take heart in the face of hindrance, in the face of obstacles. Secondly, I want us to take heart and proclaim the good news of the king. And finally, I want us to take heart that the king establishes his kingdom. That's where we're headed. So first, take heart in the face of of hindrances. At the very end of the chapter, in the last verse, it says, "...he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance." Now, Luke is noting something really quite remarkable. Remember, here's Paul. He's under house arrest. He's about to face trial And and, and the reason he's facing trial really has to do with the fact that he's been proclaiming the gospel. Uh, It caused consternation among his people, the Jews, and there was some conflict that required him to be seen in Jerusalem and Judea uh, before the authorities there, the Roman authorities, and uh, there was much... Uh, a, a case that was brought against him, didn't hold much weight, but nevertheless, you got to realize that the reason he is in Rome is because of what he's been doing. And yet, here he is, under house arrest, being given full reign, full freedom, to continue that work of proclaiming the gospel. He is he's in his home, and inviting people in, preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel to his guards, to whomever would listen to him without hindrance. And that's what Luke is saying here. He kind of had this freedom. Yet, you might argue, and I think fairly, that Paul has had one hindrance after another in his ministry. Has he not? The whole time. This whole book of Acts has been sort of one of glorious movements of the Gospel and the Holy Spirit. And hindrance. Facing a blockade of blockade. Getting beaten, almost killed. Being thrown out of cities. Facing rejection by his own people. Over and over again. We've seen this. Even the wind and the waves are in his way. Right? We saw through the shipwreck. He's faced all sorts of hindrance. But the most common hindrance that he has faced has been the opposition of his own people, the Jewish people. And we see that here in the text once again, don't we? As was the custom of Paul and the apostles, Paul seeks out the Jews in Rome, first to share with them the gospel. We've seen this pattern over and over again throughout the book of Acts. He goes to the synagogue, he speaks to the Jews, maybe some of them believe, but a vast majority reject, then he goes to the Gentiles. We've seen this pattern over and over again, and it's no different here... In Rome, he does the same thing. He can't go anywhere, so he invites the Jewish leaders in. Um, and part of uh, his reasoning is, of course, he wants to share the gospel, the hope. Um, the hope of Israel is what he, de- what he describes it here. Um, but Paul's also concerned... Uh, He wants to get out ahead of the story, maybe? I don't know if that's a fair way to put it. Um, But here he is, he's about to face trial, and it's directly related to conflict with the Jews in Jerusalem. And he wants to present before the Jews in Rome his story. Uh, Now, interestingly... Uh, The the leaders had not caught wind. They hadn't received any news from Judea. Uh, They didn't know anything about the Apostle Paul. Uh, Or at least that's what it seems to indicate. They didn't have a a, a sense of what had gone on. Um, They did know about this sect of Judaism, these Christians, and everything that was said about them was bad according to them. Um, And so they wanted to hear what the Apostle Paul had to say. They were willing to hear Paul out. And so they came back. And when they came back to visit Paul, they brought an even larger crowd. Everybody was kind of intrigued, interested. Who is this, this Jew who is following this person, Jesus? And what does Paul do? He faithfully shares with them the hope of the Messiah, the hope of Jesus. As was most often the case, some of the Jews present believed, and some of them Disbelieved, Many, presumably, did not believe. And so Paul issued a warning from the prophet Isaiah, a warning that was used commonly throughout the New Testament. This was one Jesus often quoted to those who rejected him uh, from the, from the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah's words are a bit startling, aren't they? It states that the people's faculties for grasping the gospel message have been dulled. Their hearing is gone. Their eyes have gone bad. They hear, but they don't understand. They see, but they don't perceive. Um, my aunt, a couple of years ago, probably five or ten years ago now, um, started to go deaf. You've probably had loved ones who've started to go deaf. And it's a gradual thing. And so uh, as she's going deaf, she doesn't really want to admit this fact, Right? And so when you're talking to her, you're having a conversation, she's smiling and politely nodding to you. Uh, you quickly realize she's not grasping the words that are coming. She's per- she thinks she's perceiving what I'm saying, but she, she really doesn't understand. Eventually, uh, her stubbornness, which is a great trait, eventually wore down and she got hearing aids, but uh, you get the picture. She was hearing, she was listening she couldn't hear. Isaiah pinpoints the heart of the problem with the Israelites. Their hearts, not just their ears and their eyes, but their hearts were dulled, hardened to the good news. If ever there was a hindrance to the gospel message, it is the hardened heart, is it not? It's, that's the, 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 the thing that prevents, us from, 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 prevents people from grasping hold of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul understood what he was saying when he said that their hearts were hardened, that their hearts were dull, that they couldn't see and they couldn't hear, because Paul himself knew what that was like his heart was also hardened. His eyes were blinded. And until it was the work of Christ in that vision on the road to Damascus with the bright light that shone into his eyes that he was then blinded by the glory of Christ and then his eyes were open to see Jesus. Paul understood what his fellow brothers and sisters were going through, their hardness, their dimness. When he speaks these words from Isaiah, it isn't as one who is angry, but it's as one who is Desperately concerned with their salvation. Even in these words of judgment from Isaiah, he is holding out hope, trying to stir their hearts to repent and believe. And here's the good news this is the good news. All of us are like Paul and understand what it means to have dull hearts. To be blind. There isn't one of us here, apart from the grace of God, that could overcome the hindrance of our hardness of heart. Apart from God's grace, there isn't a way forward. Hearts marred and stained by sin. Marked by rebellion against God. That's all of us. Apart from God's grace. But here, here's the good news. The king comes. The king, not some earthly king, but the king of kings. And he comes and he heals the deaf, and he brings sight to the blind, and he opens hearts to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the glory of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. There is no hindrance so great no barrier so large that Christ the King cannot break it down that 's the hope of the gospel. He comes and he opens our hearts to receive the good news and, and this, is, this is the glory of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God there's no there 's nothing in the way. friends. There is a warning here in Isaiah. And there's a real danger in rejecting the Gospel. But embedded in this warning is hope. You can't overcome the hardness of your heart, the dimness of your eyes, but Christ can. You may think your hardened heart is so bad that nothing can soften it. You may think the things you've done are beyond repair, beyond forgiveness. But Christ has the power not only to forgive you, but to call you His own child, to love you, to redeem you. And what we're called to is to cast ourselves at His feet, the feet of the King. The one who has the power to break sin and death. This has implications for sharing the gospel as well, for proclaiming the good news in the kingdom. And this brings me to my second point. Take heart. There are hindrances, God can overcome those. But take heart and proclaim the good news of the king. I know you can come up with a list, so I've come up with a short list, and it could go on and on and on, because it goes on and on in my own heart. But we can think of a million hindrances to sharing the gospel. A million reasons why we shouldn't, in this case or that case, for this person or that person, they know too much about the gospel, they've been inoculated. right? The kid who's grown up as a Christian, um, rejects the faith, walks away. You think, they're never going to hear it because they already know it. And they've already rejected it. They know too much about the gospel. Then there's on the other side, the other extreme. They know too little about the gospel. The barrier for faith is too great. They can't grasp it because they can't understand the things that I'm even talking about. They know too little about the gospel. They're so corrupt and wicked. The person is so corrupt, so wicked. They're beyond salvation. We may never articulate those words, but we often think it. On the other hand, they are such good, moral, upstanding people, they'll never see their need of the gospel. Right? There's all these opposite reasons, but you get the picture. We come up with all sorts of reasons. They've been burned by the church. They would never enter a church. And we could go on and on. All the reasons why we don't. Hindrances, walls, if you will, that block our desire, our impetus, our will to share the gospel. But here's here's the thing. Our job is not to overcome the hindrance. It's not... Our job is quite simple. Our job is to proclaim the good news and let the King who breaks into this world and overcome the hearts of people. Notice here how Paul shares the gospel first with his fellow Jews. The text says in verse 23, "...from morning till evening he expounded to them." Testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Paul is nothing if not tireless. You notice what he says? From morning till evening... He sat with them. Now, we've been down this road before. Do you remember how he spent all night one time preaching and a fellow falls out the the window, he goes down, miraculously heals this child, picks him back up, and goes and continues to preach. And now, we could take this and apply... Okay, Paul preached morning to evening. He also preached evening to morning. He's done this a couple times now. We could take this by application... Uh, we need to have longer sermons, more time preaching. I didn't think so. I don't think that is I don't think that is what this text is saying. I don't think so, but I do think it's important for us to spend time the necessary time with people, To explain the gospel. What do I mean by this? Well, firstly, just as a little bit of an aside, Americans are particularly efficient people. There was an old Dunkin' Donuts advertisement jingle that went like that. I, I actually loved it. It was definitely effective on me. It said, doing things is what I like to do. Yes, I don't know if you guys remember that little jingle. Um, I, I went around singing it for, <laughs> for a while. Um, doing things is what I like to do. Culturally, we, that's who we are. we are. We are just go-getters. We are born to do. We've long since left reading Moby Dick behind, you know, the 20th century writers, let's get to Hemingway, right? Short, succinct. Now we've moved on from Hemingway, we're into graphic novels, we don't even have to read, we just flip the page and see the pictures. We kind of, and of course, it's just been exacerbated, right? By the internet, by Twitter, whatever it is. We, we want sound bites. We want to just have everything packaged in this tiny little thing that we can just give to somebody, like a dose of medicine. I get it. We're busy people. Who has time for the luxuries of sitting with people and explaining the gospel? and the challenging truths that are found in God's Word. Who has time for that? But I guess I'm wondering, if the hindrance isn't so much the person, those hindrance lists that I came up with, as much as it is us, I wonder, are we slaves to our calendars, to our busyness, to our schedules in such a way that it prevents us from entering into life with one another and to, to, to reach out to our neighbors and to spend time with them in their homes? They don't have time either, so it's, it's a challenge, and I'm acknowledging it. But I'm just wondering what, what it would look like to spend morning to evening... Sharing the gospel. And I'm not saying literally morning to evening. Maybe that morning to evening spread up over the course of five weeks and you just do a couple hours here and there at a time. I don't know. However it is, are we investing in that way? Paul was burdened with his people. And so despite the fact that everywhere he goes, his own people reject the gospel, Paul persists. He persists with them. But there's something else in this verse. Did you notice this? It says that Paul expounded, testified, and tried to convince. Expounded, testified, tried to convince. expounded That just simply means he explained. He was going through Scripture. He was telling them how Jesus was indeed the Messiah from all of Scriptures. And then he testified. He talked about the power of Christ, probably in his own life. He probably shared his own experience of going from one just like them to one who was enraptured with this Jesus, the King of Kings, the Messiah who would come to save him through this time in Damascus. And then he probably went on to talk about the power of Jesus as he went out and shared the Gospel. He testified to the power of Christ. And he convinced. He used arguments. He, he pleaded. He, he tried to show them the truthfulness of what he was saying. In other words, Paul used every means he had to show them King Jesus. He didn't just explain... Or he didn't just share his testimony, or just try and convince, but he did all of it. Now he did it for morning to evening; he had some time. Um, but I think sometimes we come up with sort of a single approach strategy of sharing Christ, and at the first sign of resistance, we back off, we stop because oh, they're not interested. Friends, don't be shy. Don't be shy to expound, to go to Scripture. Even if, you, even if you don't understand it all, you can say that. But You know the basics of the Gospel. Go in. Start to unfold things. And as they're confused, you can say, let, let's work through it together. And when they're saying, how does this apply? You say, let me tell you a story about how I was transformed by the Gospel. And when they say, well, I just think this is ridiculous because A, B, and C, then you say, well, let me try and convince you I'm I'm just using these as broad categories, expounding, testifying, and convincing. We can talk about all the different ways in which we can go after sharing the gospel, and I think we should do everything in in our means. Whatever works. Remember, and this is the most important point, it is not you to convince. It's Christ who overcomes. We are the means, the appointed instrument in God's hands. Just go, be faithful, sit with someone. Talk to them about life and struggles and hope in the gospel. Well, after Paul's exhaustive work, there's a very modest response. It says that some of the Jews believed. At this point, Paul could have been discouraged... He could have given up. He could have said, ah, it's hopeless. But after leaving them with a final warning and with that implicit plea to repent, he turns his attention to the Gentiles. He says, I'm going to the Gentiles. And this brings me to my final point and conclusion take heart. It's the king who's establishing his kingdom. Paul doesn't lose heart. Yes, in one sense, he moves on. But if you go, and I encourage you to do this, go and read Romans chapter 11. Paul doesn't lose heart, even for those hard-hearted Jews who refuse to listen, who, whose eyes are blind, whose ears are refusing to hear, if you go and read chapter 11 of Romans, you'll realize that even as he goes to the Gentiles and as the Gentiles believe, our, and, and this is the language from Romans 11, are ingrafted into the branch, if you will, that they're brought in to the body of Christ. Paul's hope is that even by some miraculous means, by that ingrafting of the Gentiles, that the, the, the Jews will return. In fact, Paul is hopeful. He's crying out to God in one sense, but he ends with this word of hope. He says this in, chapter 30, in Romans chapter eleven, verses thirty-three to thirty-five. He says, "Oh." the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable are His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. What Paul can't fathom, that is, how... Israel and the Jewish, his brothers, will come in and repent and believe, and their hardened hearts will be softened. He doesn't understand exactly how that's all going to unfold, but he doesn't lose hope. He hopes in the wisdom and the knowledge of God. He puts his hope and trust in the King. And isn't that often where we have to leave it with people? We exhaust our avenues of sharing the gospel, and then we entrust them to the Lord, to the King of Kings, who is the one that overcomes all hindrances, even the hardest of hearts. That's a tough place for us to rest. Uh, we, we, again, doing things is what we like to do. We, we want to fix things. We want to make things better. That's just our nature. We want to see everything work out. But it is the Lord who saves. It's the King who comes and who overcomes and who establishes His kingdom in the hearts and lives of people. And it's our duty to be faithful in the proclamation and to rest in the sovereign work of God and salvation. That is where we rest. And the thing is, I suppose that when we meditate on this truth for just a little bit, that it's the Lord who overcomes, we know it's true. We do. We know it's true because we can look at our own lives, we can look at our own hearts, we look at how blind and deaf we were. We know that about ourselves. Maybe even this morning you're here and you're thinking, Rob, I'm hearing you, but this all sounds like nonsense. The Lord can overcome your heart too. Just as He overcame my heart. We look at how blind and deaf we were to the Gospel. We look at how we rebelled against God and hardened our hearts against Him. Where would you be? Where would I be if it weren't for the King's powerful grace in my heart? And this is the way of the Kingdom of God. Christ came. Christ conquered sin and death on the cross. He rose again from the dead on the third day. He ascended into heaven and is seated on His heavenly throne at the right hand of the Father. And from there, He sent His Holy Spirit to establish His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that what we pray? And as we've seen time and time again through the book of Acts, through every trial and through every barrier and every hindrance, the Spirit of God establishes that eternal kingdom by transforming dull hearts like yours And like mine. And when our eyes are open to see the glory of the King and His kingdom, when our eyes are open to see the forgiveness of sins, right? The forgiveness of sins. When our eyes are open to see the resurrection of the body and the hope everlasting, when we think on those things, we can't help but go out and share. To be that ambassador, that, that gospel witness, that, that crier who goes out with the king's message and says, The king has come. The book of Acts ends in that open way. I love, I love stories. My kids love stories. And they read incessantly. Um, which is a good thing sometimes. And they love books with series. Is that right? You like books with series. And at the end of a book with a series, it always leaves you with that tag of what's next. Right? You've read those books. Oh, I want to get the next one, and the next one. And when it finally comes to an end, you're kind of disappointed. You're like, all right, you keep going. And some of these series do keep going on and on. The book of Acts ends in an open way with Paul continuing what he does, with lives being changed. And I think it's open like that because it's an invitation for us to enter the story. That's my kids' greatest dream, to enter their stories. And here's the glory that we're called into this story. Pick up where the apostles left off. Friends, take heart the kingdom of our powerful, overcoming, redeeming King. The Lord Jesus Christ is at hand. And we are His people. called to go and to cry out good news. The good news that rescued you and me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. We confess that oftentimes we find ourselves thinking, where is the kingdom of God? I don't see it. And yet, Lord, we thank You for Your Word that reminds us that You are at work in hearts and lives overcoming. And Lord, we rejoice in the work You've done in our own hearts and are doing. And we ask that You would impress on us that glory of the Gospel, that we would go out and share it, spending time with folks even in the middle of hindrances and what seem like insurmountable odds, Lord, we know Your Gospel is powerful. You break the power of sin and death. You raise the dead. Do that in the lives of our friends, in the lives of our co-workers, in the lives of our family, in the lives of our children, in the lives of our parents, our husbands, our wives. Lord, be at work. Use us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. come to the table of the kingdom. That, that's what it is. Jesus, has said, Jesus says when uh, uh, we, we come and eat with His disciples, He's talking to them. He says, but you won't eat this again until we meet again in the kingdom of God. This is the meal of the kingdom for earth now, and there will be a greater meal in heaven that we look forward to, a hope. And as we eat this meal, we're reminded of the overcoming of power of God, the the cross of Jesus Christ. The power of God to crush his and our enemies, to crush sin and death, and to bring eternal life. Every time we eat this meal, we're reminded of that power. There is no hindrance so great that the Lord of glory cannot overcome it. Friends, this is a meal... For those who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their King, as members of that Kingdom of God, as members of the household of God, this meal is for you. If you're just seeking the Kingdom, I encourage you to put your trust in the King, to lay hold of Him by faith, but to let the meal pass you by. are the words of institution from the Gospel of Mark. And as they were eating, He took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. What a glorious hope that we have. This kingly meal set out for us, and just a very foretaste of the glorious meal we'll have with our great King in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this meal. We thank you for the way in which uh, you broke down all the barriers that we erected uh, in our sin, and that you redeemed us. You gave us hope and eternal life. Give us a great heart for the lost even as we enjoy this meal together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.